We are in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll start at verse 9 and go through the rest of that chapter. This is lesson 7. I've been digesting this book for a little while. and Thank you for joining us here live and for those who are joining us by a Facebook live as well as later on through our podcast system and through YouTube. We're glad to have you. Thank you for joining. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, it says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men especially of those who believe. Uh, we're kind of, as I said, kind of jumping into the middle of the chapter here. Uh, wasn't a great, great place to stop last week, so we somewhat abruptly stopped. And what Timothy is talking about, he says, uh, this is a faithful saying, and to this end we labor and suffer reproach. Well, to what end? To the end of exercising uh, ourselves towards godliness. And we talked about uh, that that was the goal. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. You need to live a godly life. We didn't really go into describing exactly what that is, but obviously it is following the principles and the precepts of the Bible, living our life after the plan that God has designated for us. I'm reminded of where the Bible tells us that we're to raise up our children and the way that they should go. Notice it says that they have a specific way. And uh, each child has a, a way, but I believe that we, as God's children, as adults, we have a way that God has designated for us. So here Paul is talking to Timothy about living a godly life and that that godly life will profit you in this life as well as in the next. When you live for the Lord on this side of eternity, you'll be blessed uh, if you follow the principles of the Lord, right? Uh, how many are feel blessed? Living a godly life has benefits on this side as well as on the other. We're to work towards godliness, work to lay our lives down. That's a part of being godly, to offer ourselves to the Lord for him to use and for us not to interfere with God's plans, but for us to be humble, for us to live like God wants us to live. And part of that, unfortunately, Paul mentions it here, a part of godliness, some of that is suffering. And we don't like to talk about that, do we? I mean, we like to talk about the joys, and there are joys, and the celebrations of uh, living a godly and a Christian life, uh, but there can be some sufferings as well. When you live for the Lord, people notice, and sometimes they're happy and excited about that, and sometimes they're not so happy and excited about that. Because when we live a godly life, it brings the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon people. So sometimes we, we may suffer uh, because of that. So Paul is saying we need to know Christ, follow his plan for us, and a part of that is the suffering. Paul said, 
uh, in another place that we're to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. We love that, don't we? I mean, we love to talk about the power and the glory and the, the miracles and the wonders and the signs, but we don't like to talk about uh, the fellowship of his suffering. So we're to, the scripture here says that we're to trust in the living God. Aren't you glad he's living? Uh, he's not dead. He's not in the grave. He rose again. He's all powerful. He defeated all of our enemies already. And what we're uh, to do is to live in that, right? To live in his victory. Doesn't mean we don't have struggles and pains and some sorrows, but we're to live uh, in his victory and to trust in the living God. And he's the one that empowers us to accomplish the things that he's called us to do. I just want to stop and say, if God's called you to do something and you feel very capable of doing it with no problem, you might want to go back and check and see if that's all God wanted you to do. Because I found that, at least for me and some others that I've talked to, uh, that when God calls us to do certain things, sometimes he adds a, a dimension in there that it's like, ooh, I'm not sure I can do that. And we can't without the Lord. We, we need that power of the Lord to trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. So there's an emphasis on the idea that the priority of the way we live and the priority of the message here that Paul's trying to relay and saying to Timothy, the message has got to be about Jesus Christ. Uh, that's important. You know, we do a lot of things here. We have a lot of activities. We have training. We have worship. We have all those kinds of things. But if we ever lose focus that it's all about the Lord and people being saved, then uh, we're heading in the wrong direction. It, it's all about men being saved. And that has to be our, our focus. So let's read verses 11 through 16. So again, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's going to give him some personal instructions. He's going to say, these are some things that you need to do, because Paul is Timothy's mentor. We don't hear a lot in the church talked about, about mentors, but we should. We really should. Uh, the Bible tells the old men to train up the young men and the older women to train up the young women. That's a mentoring process. And here Paul, who's already called Timothy his son in the faith, he doesn't say, well, if you feel like it, do this. What does he do? He says, this is the way you need to do it. Because he has the role of being a spiritual father or a mentor. And uh, I'm not saying he's being mean about it. I'm saying he's honoring Timothy by saying, this is what you need to do. He's not beating around the bush. How many hate when people beat around the bush? Just tell me what you want, right? Uh, and let me get started doing it. So uh, look at this. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, 
till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And then he goes into this. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Wow. Paul's calling him to be fully dedicated, right? Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Paul said, don't let it be a question about your lifestyle. Make sure that you are living in such a fashion that everyone notices. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So Paul is teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. How to lead other people. Uh, and he says, uh, these things command. So, that's a strong word, isn't it? Command. He didn't say, get up there and give them some suggestions. That's not a great leader if you just give suggestions, right? He said, this is the path. This is what we're going to do. This is what the Bible says we ought to do. And so, Paul's saying, here, give this as a command. Don't enter into the pulpit with opinions, theories, speculations, but what you have been taught and the doctrines and all those things, uh, the word of God that you know. So he was to fearlessly proclaim God's word as a command and not to give in to the fear of man. Think about who Timothy was. Young man, not near as old as Paul, was not the one who established the church. He was a mentee of Paul's. He's pastoring a church that probably had People younger than him, people the same age as him, and people older than him, and he used to approach it as giving them a command. We naturally don't have a problem to lead people that are the same age and younger than us, but to lead people who are older than us, especially if we have a little bit of a timid uh, personality, that's a challenge. That's where you see Timothy, there's some things in here that tell us in the book that Timothy had a little bit of a timid character about him. I'm not trying to say he's bad. I'm just saying he wasn't quite as bold as Paul was. We see that in the way that Paul said, hey, get up there. Command them. Lead them. Like a leader, like a, a soldier would. So let no one despise your youth. Timothy was young, vulnerable to the errors of youth. How many of you made errors when you were young? I still make errors and things in my, uh, older too, but maybe not to the level I did when I was younger, right? Uh, so here's Timothy, vulnerable to the errors of simply being young, just not having the knowledge and the wisdom that you gain as you grow older. So in other words, Paul's saying, if you don't watch it, people are going to despise your youth. What does that mean? What might they say? You don't know nothing. You're a young whippersnapper. What do you think, right? Young whippersnapper. Here, Paul is saying that there's some things that you need to do 
so that in a way that you need to live so that people won't despise you. you. Anybody ever had in the work world a boss that was quite a bit younger than you? I have. Did you have a little struggle with that? Maybe not you submitted to that because they're your boss, but there's still a struggle, isn't there, in our minds to say, well, who, who is that to tell me what to do and how to do it, right? Because I've been here longer than they have, right? Here Paul's telling Timothy, here's the answer. You've got to live a life that is so godly, because that's what this whole theme of this chapter is about, that nobody is going to despise your you. Yes, spotless and blameless. How many knows that we're never really totally spotless and blameless? But he's calling him to live a life that is above reproach. They're going to have to search to find something against Timothy because Paul's saying, you've you got to live this way. As a pastor, and as especially as a young pastor, you're going to have to live above the world's standards and, and be that person that they can look up to. The word youth there that Paul uses is a Greek word that is used of someone who is of a grown-up military age, above or around 40 and above. So it's assumed that Timothy is less than 40, maybe 30. We don't know. These are assumptions. And Paul is probably around 70. That's a big age gap. But it's probably a good thing. I tell you what, I, I love to be, I've always been, my mom can attest to this, I was always the kid who hung around the adults. I really was. I mean, I, I like to play, but when the adults start talking about stuff I was interested in, I wanted to hang out. I wanted to learn something, right? Uh, and especially when it came to spiritual things. I had a you know, desire to understand and to know spiritual things. Many of my mentors were many years older than me. Almost uh, one, the one I'm thinking about right now is Buford, who was like another father figure to me. I mean, I had a great, great uh, earthly father, biological father, and then I had a spiritual father in Buford who would literally kind of mentor me teach me and uh, go with me to pray with people and do things like that, which really fed into my life. And that's the relationship that we see here between uh, Timothy and Paul. So Paul's telling him to be an example to the believers, to represent Christianity and represent the Christian community, to be, example, be an example to the believers. And there's Six things he says you need to be an example in. Does somebody want to list those? Word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. So those are six areas. So there's six. Word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Paul is saying to Timothy, be the best representation of these that you can be. So what does it mean to be an example in word? 
Do what you say, say what you do. There's a part of that in there. But also, what about the Word of God, right? So make sure you're following that, living that. Both of those concepts in that. How many knows that you will turn people off very quick if you say your one thing and you live a different life? They will not want to follow you. They will say that you're, what is that nasty word? A hypocrite, right? So we're to live and be an example in word. We're to be an example in conduct, how we live. And not just from a human standpoint, you know, regular, like be a good person, don't disobey the laws of the land, but have a conduct that is acquainted or, or uh, associated with being a Christian. So we're to have that kind of conduct. So be uh, an example in word and conduct and love. Notice love is right in the middle. Love, love, love. You want to be an example? That's how you do it. In love. If you're hateful and spiteful and honoring and mean and all of those things, you're not going to be a good example. You're just not. So Paul's saying, here to Timothy, you got to love. You got to love people. You got to love God. And you got to uh, love, I would say, love what you're doing for the Lord. Can you tell the difference in somebody who loves what they're doing for the Lord? I hope you can, right? They have a passion. They have a desire. They have an energy, right, uh, to do what God's called them to do. So word, conduct, love, spirit. What does that mean by spirit? Notice it's not a capital S, like as in the spirit of God. So what does that mean? When you say that person has a good spirit, what does that mean? Your inner being, your temperament, your attitude, right? Uh, those things that, and I'm going to say it this way, kind of make you more enjoyable to be around. We've got to love everybody, but some people are a whole lot easier to love than others, right? <laughs> uh, so, but we're to be an example. We ought to make a difference when we walk into a place. We really should, shouldn't we? I mean, uh, we've got the light of Christ living inside of us. Uh, we've got an assurance of a home in heaven that no matter how bad this world gets, uh, then we ought to have a great attitude, right? A good spirit about us. Now, I'm not saying that you have to, you know, have a smile like a Cheshire cat all the time, uh, but you ought to have a good attitude because God's blessed you. God saved you. God filled you with his spirit. And so uh, we need to have a good attitude, right? Just been around people that, well, one or two ways, that seem to draw people to them because they have a presence about them, because they're happy or joyful, even when things don't go exactly. So he's saying, Paul, I mean, uh, Timothy, you got to be, you got to have a good attitude. And in faith, you can take this several different ways. So be an example in faith. What does that mean to you? Well, even in, even the, the first way that you mm -hmm. said, though, I mean, 
we can be wishy-washy in our faith, and I think he's being mm-hmm. stayed constant in him. Right. Not yeah. believing today and disbelieving tomorrow and yeah. doing this today and not doing it tomorrow. So they can be faith like what we talk about, biblical, spiritual faith like that, but and in that, you kind of incorporate both of them. In that, you consistently are that way. Like you said, not wishy-washy, not back and forth. You're steadfast. Uh, if God said it, you believe it. Live it that way, right? Uh, but there's also that level of just faithfulness. How many knows that you can't be an example when you are not there? I can't say it any more plain than that, right? If you are unfaithful to be in the house of God, and here's Timothy, he's the pastor. I think y'all would notice if I didn't show up, wouldn't you? If I didn't show up and I didn't have anybody to preach for me and I wasn't planned and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't show up, that's not being faithful. That's not being a good example, is it, to the believers? And then in purity. That's not a word you hear much in our day. What's the purity? What does that look like? I think that incorporates everything. Uh, all of these, maybe, right? Yeah. It's a standard. How many knows that God does have standards? He really does. Uh, the world likes to tell us that, well, this is right for this person. And that's right for this person. And if they're like this, then this is okay, but it might not be okay. God doesn't, doesn't do that. God has definitive, definite standards. They're in his word. We might not like them, but they're there. And so when we follow them, that's the purity. We're living up to the standards of God. Doesn't Again, we're, we're human. Doesn't mean we'll be perfect in doing that, but we're not living like the devil through the week and trying to be an angel on Sunday morning, right? But we're living a life of purity, which does incorporate a whole lot of these. You know, that faithfulness, that love that all of these things kind of put together. These are criteria Paul's telling Timothy you need to be, but it's what they're for us too, right? Because I look around in this room and I consider all of us in some form or fashion to be leaders in the church. Core group of people right here. No one knew just started coming. No one brand new in the faith. No one who doesn't have any background whatsoever with the Lord. Uh, And so uh, the the criteria that Paul is telling Timothy to live by, but it's for us as well. And he's saying, you got to have a pastor who has all of those to be an example in these six things. And then he's supposed to give attention to three other things. What does it mean to give attention to something? Put emphasis on it, okay? Yeah, it's not much like pay attention. I can pay attention to a lot of things, but it doesn't, it might not change me. Time, effort. I think the time is the big is the big thing. Time in God's word. Time, well, I'm starting to name them. But okay, so the three things that Timothy Now, he's the pastor, and pastors for sure, and ministers for sure, better be doing these. 
But I, I want to say that really they're for all of us. And so what are the three? Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. All of these are centered around one thing. What is it? What, what is reading, exhortation, and doctrine? What is it all focused on? The gospel, Jesus, is his word in particular. Because we're to read, give attention to. It just popped into my mind because I know we all do this. How many of you? I have found that no matter when I try to read God's word, that it's difficult. In the morning, I'm still sleepy. In the evening, I'll fall asleep in two seconds, start reading it. So I don't read the Bible at night, unless I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> well, just open up the book of Chronicles and you'll know right what I'm talking about. Just being honest, just being honest. We're to give attention to it. We individually have to decide what does that look like. If you are a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed person in the morning, you need to grab that word up and you need to read, 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 and study, study, study. If you're a mid-morning, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of mid-morning. I mean, from 10 to about noon, man, I can dig in there. Uh, before that, I could have a lot of cups of coffee or some Diet Coke or something, right? You know, just stay motivated. What am I saying? These are big categories, but they're also individual. And we have to dig in and figure out Reading isn't just reading. You ever read and stopped and saw, thought, I don't even know one thing out of what I've just read. So sometimes when we read, we're not focused. We're not paying attention. Right? That's what Paul's saying. You gotta pay attention. I think one of the best ways to do that is to pray first. It don't have to be a big long prayer. To say, Holy Spirit, help me. Number one, to stay focused. Number two, to learn what you want me to learn for today. Because how many knows that the Lord wants to speak to you every day? If your children, you know what they tell you the secret is to having a smart child and a, a child that's going to excel academically? First, you read to them, then you let them read. We read to our kids. My wife worked for Rand McNally, and they had all those wonderful Dr. Seuss books and all those kinds of, you know, all those kinds of things. And we read, read, read to them. We read it so much to them, if we tried to skip a page, they were like, no, that's not the way it goes, Daddy. That's, you, you didn't read it all. That's kind of like reading the Bible, isn't it? It's a steadfastness about reading and really reading to pay attention. What does God want to say to me today? What does this mean for me today? How can I apply it to my life? Uh, so that's how you're paying attention to exhortation. What does exhortation mean? Sharing? But what is it? In the PCG, there are three levels of ministers. Exhorter, license, Ordained. And an exhorter, very beginning stage of ministry, but you still are learning how to take the word and learning how to speak to it into somebody else's life or into your life. 
And that's what exhortation is really about. How many knows that you can exhort yourself? Does that sound kind of weird? You ever preach to yourself? I preach to myself every time before Sunday ever gets here. Because if it don't mean nothing to me, it ain't going to mean nothing to you. If it doesn't speak to my heart, it's not going to speak to your heart. Because I'm not going to have the passion and the energy and the desire. What did David say? Encourage yourself. He said, I encourage myself in the Lord. He was down and out. His men, who had been loyal and faithful to him, was about to string him up. Because all the women had gotten taken off. Right? You remember that story? And he encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you got to preach to yourself, talk to yourself, encourage yourself, exhort yourself, find the word, apply it to your life, preach it to yourself, but then be ready when the Holy Spirit comes and says, this person, this friend of yours, this church member, this loved one of yours, they need to hear this. You ever had the Holy Spirit? Just say, they need to hear this. And sometimes it's not loaded with scripture. Sometimes it's just an encouragement. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a description. And doctrine. What's doctrine? What you believe and why you believe it. So principles and precepts that are in the word of God are doctrine. Sometimes churches get off in their doctrine. And if your church's doctrine doesn't line up with the word, it's not the word that should change. It's sad that you have to say that these days, but it's, isn't it the truth? That doesn't change, right? That's true. He doesn't change. So, But right now, we've got a lot of, we say it, denominations and churches that if it, if it don't feel good to them in the Bible, then they just ignore it. Or they do worse. And they change it. God didn't mean that. He really meant this. Who twisted, who twisted the word first? Satan did, right? That's why doctrine is so important for us to really, like Bill said, knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Charles McKinley used to say, every once in a while, help me out, y'all remember this, I throw everything up in the air and I let it fall down and sort it out. And if it ain't in God's word, brush it off to the side. So doctrine is important. You won't get real excited about doctrine, but doctrine is important. You could get excited about doctrine, but most people kind of glaze over when you start talking about doctrine. <laughs> Give attention to those things in your private life and in your public ministry. If you don't give attention to those things in your private life, you won't have it to give out in the public ministry. Isn't that right? Number one, I'd be scared to do this uh, because I'm not that great of a teacher and preacher. There's no way I would show up and just flip open the Bible with no study, no notes, and just start talking. I won't do that. Because if I haven't studied it and read it, and you ask me a question, I don't want to make up something. I want to know. So there's an application. Bill's a, a great teacher. I know we've got some teachers in here. Bill's a great teacher. One thing you say about Bill's teaching is he is prepared. 
He's got the notes. He studied it all week long. Honestly, it reminds me of my dad. When my dad would get that Sunday school book, and it had readings for every day of the week, not just the Sunday school lesson, but every day of the week that applied to that and studied and took notes on it all week long. So when Sunday got here, it wasn't, oh man, what was that lesson about? It was already in here. That's, what, that's why he said, Get, pay attention to these things. Do these things. Reading, exhortation, doctrine. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. What kind of gift did Timothy have? So he had the gift to be able to speak, yeah. to be able to exhort, to be able to preach. I mean, that's what Paul is telling him, do this. Paul, his mentor, wouldn't say, get up there and preach and command if he didn't have that gift. So he had those, he had gifts evident in his life. Gifts of leadership. Paul wouldn't have put somebody out there who couldn't lead the church of Ephesus the one he founded and started, who, had, who was a terrible leader, he wouldn't have done it. Who knows that the Holy Spirit will help you lead people. Even when you're not a naturally gifted leader, the Holy Spirit will help you to do that. Don't neglect, neglect the gift that is in you. And that gift was there through the laying on of hands. At one point in, this, in, in Timothy, it says, I did the laying on of hands. Another, it says, the elders. Guess who did it? Both. So Paul is laying out on hands. Why do we, when we have, and we're recognizing a leader and putting somebody in position, why do we lay hands on them and pray for them? So there's an impartation Here's Paul, the mentor, who's established multiple churches, went on missionary journeys, done all of these things, experienced so much of life, and he's saying, hey, son, let me impart something to you. I don't know how to emphasize this, but we have got to impart to the next generation. Did you hear me? I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching here, but, but I am. Because if we fail to impart something to them by the laying on of hands, then they will not be equipped to do what God's called them to do. There's an impartation that happens. God gave them, gave them the gifts, but they're, they, they have to come alive within that person. So this is impartation. Don't neglect this gift, these abilities. Don't waste it. That's what neglect means. Don't bury it. That remind you of anything? You may remember the parable of the talents. One of the five, he went out and invested. He went out and did some business for the Lord. Made, it's a ten, right? The other one who had what, two talents? Five, two, and one, I think. So the one who had two did the same thing. Made four. The one who had one, because he was living in fear, hear me, it was fear that caused him to bury it. When we don't trust that God has gifted us, we'll bury that gift. And then it won't be any good for the kingdom. 
It's very important for us, not in vanity to say I'm gifted in this, but in understanding the kingdom, God gifted me with these special abilities so that I can advance not myself, but the kingdom. It's very important for us to understand that we, we don't want to be guilty of burying our talent. Because if you go back and read that, <laughs> what happened to the guy who buried his talent, it wasn't good. So we want to make sure we don't neglect it, we don't bury it. Uh, by the way, the word gift, and we've, we've had this, we had it in the book of Romans as well. The word gift in the Greek is the word charismatos. That's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A-T-O-S. It's where we get our word charisma. So the gift is a supernatural gifts entrusted to us by God to do great things for the kingdom. God has gifted, what does the Bible say? Each one of us have gifts as the Spirit, what? Has given to us and decides what we have. So if, if that's true, then we have to learn how to flow and move by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because we've got those gifts, but we have to learn how to flow with them. When I pray up here almost every time, I can't say every time because sometimes the Lord leads me to pray in a different way, but many multiple times I pray and I say, God, let the gifts of the Holy Spirit be, in, be exercised as we come together. Because that's what they're for. They're for the body. Not for me. What good does it do for me to have the gift of prophecy? I'm just going to prophesy to myself all the time? Right? No, it's for the body. Now, sometimes you might need to prophesy to yourself. <laughs> like you might need to encourage yourself. So we need to make sure that we're flowing. That's a Pentecostal statement. Let me ask you, what does that mean? Blowing the Holy Spirit, brother. We see that kind of stuff all the time. Sister, just move with the move with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Use it. Ah, do not restrain it. You got it. Let it. Don't restrain it. Let it use it. And a lot of times, what I have found is the gift of flow when people are in an attitude the spirit of worship. Watch, watch those church services where and it wasn't magic that the worship team, they're not magical. They came in in the right humble attitude and they're gifted and they start to play and sing and then the congregation joins in and the Holy Spirit's moving and we're worshiping the Lord and then all of a sudden you'll have a tongue interpretation, a song of the Lord, uh, you'll have a, a prophetic word, you'll have uh, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge and it all, it starts to flow when we worship. That's what in the corporate setting, right? Do you notice that? Seems like that's when it flows, right? Why is that? There's some unity there and we know God blesses that, right? God blesses in unity. So there is a not stopping it from flowing we're opening up and we're saying, here I am, God. Well, yes, yeah, I like that analogy. So we're turning the faucet on. We're saying, God, my natural inclination would be to 
pull back, I say natural arm, sometimes, you know, sometimes we're like, oh God, I don't, I know you're moving here and I, I feel this urge to operate in this gift, but our in our physical and our mind, sometimes we have this thing to say, is that just me? Should I pull back? Should I? No. Allow the Holy Spirit. You have that gift. Allow the Holy Spirit to use you. I'm saying this to a group of people who do that, right? But we need that. So that's that charismatos. That's that moving of the Holy Spirit, the gift in exercise through the laying on of hands. Uh, what I was asking about a few minutes ago, when the laying on of hands, there is an impartation, but there's also a recognition of God's call on somebody's life to be in ministry. I use that word ministry very broadly. So when we lay hands on people to pray for them, now sometimes we pray for people when they're sick. I'm not saying every time we lay hands on them that we're recognizing a ministry that God's laid a call on their life, but specifically when we you know, when we pray, when we're installing new leaders or new teachers and we decide we want to pray over them or sending somebody out. Yeah, how many knows that this church has sent people out, right? I, I certainly strive. If I find out somebody's going to move or somebody is going to launch out into a ministry that God has laid upon their heart and they're not going to be able to be here, you know, all the time, like a part of the body on a normal weekly basis, then I strive to call them up front. Because they're not leaving this body, they're being sent by this body. It's all an attitude, right? We are commissioning them, recognizing the gift and the calling upon their life, and sending, sending them out. We've done couples like that. I'm, of course, they're related to me, but I'm thinking of Mike and the uh, Donnell Roberts used to come to church here. But they lived in Marksburg, and there's a good church there. Just right down the road from them, not far from them at all. And they felt that they should be doing the work of the Lord in their community. Hey, that's wonderful. Do that. But we didn't say, man, they're leaving us. They must not love us no more. We didn't cross them off. We didn't write them off. No, we brought them up front. And we laid hands upon them and blessed them and sent them. So that's a part of why we lay hands. The laying out of hands is a recognition of God's call on a person's life to do some type of ministry. And he says, meditate on these things. Meditate on God's word, on God's work in your life. When you say meditate, you have to be careful. Because the world has an idea of what meditation is like, and it is like an Eastern religious thing where you sit down and you clear your mind of everything and you just listen. That's a great opportunity, let me just tell you this, for the devil to speak right into your ear. That's not what this kind of meditation is about. Not about clearing your mind, it's about, here's the answer. Filling your mind with God's word and truth. Have you ever just sat down and thought about how good God has been to you? About how he's met your needs? About his beauty and his majesty and his power and his glory and how, how God has 
just worked in your life and maybe he's done great wonders in your children or whatever. And begin to just think about his word, you know, think about how what the, the Bible describes God, you know, uh, this awesome, powerful creator, but yet Father and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And you begin to meditate upon that. You're not emptying your mind. You're filling your mind with God's word and his truth. Think deeply. That's how I like that. Set aside time and focus. So you're meditating, you're thinking upon something. Because there's, there's this Eastern philosophy meditation that is not good. And it's incorporated into sometimes things that you just have to be careful. And I'm not trying to make it sound spooky. I'm just trying to tell you, if somebody's telling you, go clear your mind and just let something speak to you. No, no, no. Fill your mind. And then the Holy Spirit will speak to you upon what you're meditating on. A form of meditation is to take a scripture. Have you ever just taken one verse and just keep going over and over and over with it? If you wrote down what the Lord spoke to you, you might have pages, one verse, pages, because it's so deep and it applies to your life. So meditation uh, is, is good, but make sure you're doing it the right way. Give yourself entirely to them. So give yourself to the word, give yourself to all those things that said pay attention to, the exhortation, doctrine, all those things. And Timothy here was being encouraged to Give the maximum effort. It's not a works mentality, but we're also not called to be lazy either. Occupy, not sitify and you know, sit down and do nothing. It says the, the Bible tells us to, to wait on the Lord. Okay, I'm gonna go cross my legs and sit in my chair and just wait on God and do it all. That's not what the Lord is saying. There is a level of patience that we have to have and develop through that process. But waiting, if you went to Cracker Barrel and they sent you at a seat and you sat there and sat there and sat there and waited and no one did anything to bring you a glass of water or to get your food on order, that's not a good waiter. So that process of waiting is active. Serving until God speaks something else to do. I have people come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't know what the Lord's calling me to do. I'm like, you've got 66 books that tell you what God wants you to do. And until he gives you something more specific than that, <coughs> just keep doing this. You won't mess up. Take heed to it. Give your life to it. And they'll save both yourself and those who hear you. All these, these six things that, you know, to be an example in, and then the three things that to pay attention to are scattered throughout this whole text. And all of these apply to the whole first part of this chapter as well. This is how we become Godly. And I know that rocks some people's world. How can I be godly? Just showed us how to become godly. 
That don't mean I am God, but I have characteristics that God wants me to have because I'm listening to his word and following Some Sometimes we, I'm far from godly. Well, keep doing these things and you'll become more godly. Let's go through the questions. What was Paul's answer to the potential issue of Timothy's youth? Be an example. Live a life so godly that they're not going to be paying attention that you're just youth. What six areas was Timothy to be an example in? Word, love, spirit, faith, purity. Yep. And then the three things he was to give attention to. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. The Greek word for gift. Charismatos. Question five. What was the purpose of laying hands on Timothy? You know, the call is like, I think there was also what mom said too, that impartation, bestowal of blessing upon you. What? All of that. What does Paul, question six, what does Paul mean when he tells Timothy to meditate on these things? So in line with God's word and his truth, you know, all those things. Not just empty mind. An empty mind reminds me of Jesus talked about whenever someone gets demons cast out of them, and they're clean and they're empty, swept and all that stuff, and they leave, but then they come back and, hey, man, there's plenty of room for us in there because that's an empty vessel. And they bring more. This day and time kind of messed with us. We don't need to do that. 